1: Hello, and welcome to New Books and Philosophy, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Sarah Tyson, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Colorado Denver. I'm co-host of the channel, along with Carrie Fichtor, Robert Slees, and Malcolm Keating. Together, we bring you conversations with philosophers about their new books, drawing from a wide range of areas of contemporary philosophical interview. Today's interview is with Rebecca Roach, Senior Lecturer in Philosophy at Royal Holloway, University of London, and host of the podcast, The Academic Imperfectionist. Her book, For F's Sake, Why Swearing is Shocking, Rude, and Fun, is just out from Oxford University Press. Swearing can be a powerful communicative act for good or ill. The same word can incite violence or increase intimacy. How is swearing so multivalent in its power? Is it just all those harsh C and K sounds? Does swearing take its power from taboo meaning? Why is swearing sometimes so funny? Rebecca Roach offers us rich insights into the complex importance of swearing to help us understand who gets judged too harshly for doing it, why it's important to be able to offend with swearing, why we might need to advocate for some swear words, and so much more. And heads up, as you might have guessed, this interview contains a discussion of swearing, so it mentions some swear words. If you don't want to hear these words, I recommend that you stop listening. Rebecca Roach, welcome to New Books in Philosophy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. Um, so let's jump in with you telling us a bit about yourself, your background as a philosopher, and how you came to write this book. How did you get interested in swearing?
2: Yeah, well, I've I've had uh, a, an unvaried and unexciting career in in one way. I I've, I went to university age eighteen to study philosophy, and it's been kind of philosophy ever since, yeah. apart from a little detour into IT. Um, for a few years, but but yes, um, I I started out, I, I think I've probably dived into most areas in analytic philosophy throughout my time. Um, used to be into sort of metaphysics, philosophy of mind, personal identity, that sort of thing. Um, and over time became more interested in applied philosophy, so applied ethics and eventually um sort of social and ethical issues to do with language which is how i ended up to uh, discussing swearing but yes it came it came about just because i'm um i'm someone that sort of constantly has different projects on the go and is really bad at Finishing any of them, <laughs> so while I was supposed to be working on something else, um, I started thinking about swearing. I, I specifically how how asterisks work in swear words. So when we get a, a swear word that is what I call sanitized with an asterisk to make it less offensive, I started thinking, God, how does how does that work? And what have philosophers written about this? Somebody must have thought about this, uh, and found that There's there's very little philosophy on swearing. Um, which is interesting because there's plenty of philosophy on other areas of offensive language, like things like slurs. Um, so yes, I became that philosopher to um, to fill that gap.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we will get to asterisks. Um, it it makes sense that that was the the puzzle that that pulled you into this and the your interest in ethics too. Um, those are it's really important to the the development of your argument. So so what is swearing? Hmm. I think it's it's so it's interesting
2: we because it's one of those things where we just we all know what it is, obviously. Um but in in defining what it is and how it's set apart from other things that aren't swearing, uh I think there's like a cluster of factors. So swear swear words are words that you don't say in polite company. You know, there's some norms around it. We all know you ought not to swear. We're taught that as children um swear words tend to focus on taboo topics so around the world swear words tend to be words associated with you know toilet matters sex blasphemy and so on um interestingly that there's there's other there's other ways of using taboo language that that aren't swearing so um you know that the sorts of uh, certain religious terms that you wouldn't say or which you know in the past um Uh, when the word God was sanitized in, you know, you see this in Dickens, things like that. You know, these are all instances of sort of taboo language, but we wouldn't call them swearing. Um, So swearing is uh, is, is a sort of language we engage in to let off steam. You know, if we are if we hurt ourselves, if we if we're surprised or shocked, something like that, we might express our emotion through swearing. Um, but we don't have to, you know, you can also use swearing as a as a form of punctuation. Um, and of course, it's associated with being nasty to people, you know, verbal aggression. Um, it's associated with being insulting. But again, it doesn't have to be. There's um, ways that we can swear that have nothing to do with um, aggression. Um, it's also sort of it, it has this interesting um psychological neurological background so unlike philosophers um psychologists have been interested in swearing over the years um, and it sometimes happens that people who have a brain injury or a stroke and lose the ability to communicate with language will sometimes retain the ability to utter certain you know strings of language such as days of the week um they can they might be able to count and sometimes they can swear as well uh, so th- these are areas of language that psychologists sometimes call automatic language. So that the sort of language will just kind of reel off um, without necessarily much conscious thought. So it looks like swearing fits in there as well, which tells us that it has this sort of interesting role in in our neurology. So a, a bit of a long winded answer to the question. <laughs> what is swearing? No, but, um,
1: yeah, I mean, because where your analysis goes, right, is that context matters so much to swearing. It's so so interesting Mm -hmm. that it's an automatic, that it lives in that kind of automatic place that counting and days of the week live, but that Mm -hmm. it's so context dependent how swearing works, whether it's funny or offensive. Um, So what is the importance of context? And then I want to move from there into offense escalation, because that seems to also be both contextual and then interpersonal.
2: Mm, mm. Yeah. So, so context. So there are some people who take the view that swearing is always bad. There's just never any reason to swear. Um, But setting aside those people, most people who, you know, who, and different people vary in their, in the the extent to which they, they use swearing. Um, But for most of us, there are times and places where if somebody were to swear, we, we wouldn't bat an eyelid. It would just be you know, part of what's going on in that situation, unsurprising. And then other situations where we would be really shocked. Even people who are quite liberal with swearing, there's, there's some context where they would be really shocked to hear a swear word uttered. Um, and I think we can view this in large part as just piggybacking on other sorts of norms uh, that are in place so um i mean to take an example that's used by joel feinberg who uh, was a, a legal philosopher who wrote uh, extensively on offense um if you take something like wearing a bikini there's contexts where you know no nobody's going to bat an eyelid if you're at the beach it's just a hot day etc etc completely fine um If you turn up at somebody's funeral in a bikini, then it's going to raise eyebrows. So it's, you know, there's plenty of behaviours that we can engage in whose acceptability is context-dependent. Swearing is one of those behaviours. It just seems that we are sort of more interested, I think people are more interested in our reactions to swearing than we are to, say, dressing inappropriately. So I've had lots of interviews over the years when people have said things like, why are we so shocked by swearing? It, which is interesting, I think, in a way because we're shocked by all sorts of things, but we don't necessarily puzzle over it. You know, why would be we we'd be super shocked if somebody turned up to a formal dinner or a funeral wearing a bikini? Well, you know, nobody tends to be interested in that.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is—it's reminding me of how the book opens with you imagining um, the late Queen Elizabeth II using. Um, language we would find shocking, right? Swearing to try to describe a terrible year um, mm. as opposed to reverting to Latin, right? And it it really sets up, right? We we already know we care about context and we care about um, when it comes to swearing and we care about who the social status to the person swearing. And we read that mm. off of situations quite um, readily and kind of constantly. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that it, I, I guess, it, I suppose it's because In part, swearing can be so fun and build intimacy. It doesn't just have, Mm. it's not just offensive, right? It doesn't just have a shocking capacity. It can do these other things.
2: Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've touched on quite a few things there. I think, because, you know, sort of in talking about context, I was talking, the things I was mentioning, uh, you know, sort of different social contexts. So at the beach versus at a funeral, for example. And you've also sort of brought in, it matters who's doing the swearing, So there's some people who we expect to be models of decorum and then it's extra shocking if they use swearing. Um, Yeah, and and as you say, it's it's fun to swear. I think it has this, you know, because it has this role in letting off steam, I think one thing that happens when somebody swears inappropriately is that, you know, people have this reaction of, well, we're all behaving ourselves. Like, why do you get to let rip?
1: Absolutely, and then and one this is where we can start talking about offense escalation. One reason might be because somebody's trying to offend us, right? Like, might be trying to introduce into the context aggression.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so offense escalation is this term that I used to try to explain where swear words get their power to shock and offend. Um, there have been a few attempts to explain where they get this power. And I think uh, n- not entirely satisfactory attempts. So you sometimes get people talking about the the sound of swear words, which I think is part of the story, but not the whole story. I mean, nobody bats an eyelid at the term country um, and yet it contains probably the most offensive term. And my kids really like you exploiting this, but by... <laughs> they will say, you know the word country, but the first part of it. Um I didn't say anything rude, you know, th- that sort of thing. Um but I think swearing gets its power to shock not just from the, the way the words sound, but from what we signal when we choose to swear. So um what happens is I think you start out with the sorts of words that people generally dislike which I think, you know, explains why swear words tend to be words to do with taboo topics, because word these, you know, lavatorial topics, um, sex and so on, you know, these are all themes that the reason they're taboo is that nobody really wants you talking about them, at least not in polite conversation. So you start out with a word that people don't like. And if you utter that word in the company of people who you know don't like it, you're going to you're going to set them on edge, and if they realise what you're doing, you know, if it's not just the case that you know that they don't like it, if they also know that you know that they don't like it, then I think you get this sort of building up of, uh, well, an escalation of this disrespect signal. Um, not just about, I mean, this doesn't just arise with swearing. I think in general, um, if you know that somebody doesn't like you doing something. Um, maybe they've asked you not to do it in the past, it might be you know, sort of picking your nails, something like that. It's sort of fairly innocuous. But if someone asks you not to do it, and it wouldn't really cost you anything to stop doing it, but you carry on doing it, then you know, you're know you going to really annoy them. And I think the reason you really annoy them in that circumstance is because they're taking your behavior as uh, an expression of disrespect towards them. And I think that's basically what happens with swearing. You start out with this disliked term and you utter it in a context where you know people aren't going to like it and then they interpret your behavior as disrespectful, which it is in that context. So I think that's how we get swear words. This all happens on a sort of community-wide scale and we end up with these words where we understand it. Um, A lot of the time, if you utter them, it's... It, it expresses your disrespect to the people that you're in company with.
1: Yeah, it occurred to me that offense escalation is actually really key to living with other people where you have to figure out whether is this offense being escalated or is somebody just doing a habit they're not even thinking about and don't realize they're, to use your example, picking their nails. And then yeah. maybe they know that it drives you crazy, right? But they're not even aware they're doing it. And you have to have the thought to live with somebody else. Maybe they're not aware. <laughs> But they're doing it right. Maybe they're not yeah. escalating the offense. Um, but it just occurred to me what a um, powerful concept that is in general for social life. About is this intentional or is this mm. is something else happening here and having to make a judgment call or think about that dynamic? Yeah. Um so so then um swearing in front of children we're starting to get into the moral aspects of this how we could signal disrespect um to other people so swearing in front of children and then this i think um starts to touch on teaching children to swear and how we don't Mm. tend Mm. to although shout out to my mom she her view was that um there were appropriate times to swear and children should learn how to do that um okay yeah so just i just wanted to note that i've tried to hand this down to my kids, um, yeah, never at school, for instance. Uh, right, so, yeah. So, why is swearing in front of children often bad? And um, yeah, how are we? How how do we need to think about the relationship between swearing and morality? It's not mm-hmm. a clear window into our moral character, clearly, from the way you're setting up the argument. So, yeah, I think this is really
2: this is su- such an interesting question. Um, and I was when I was writing the book. My kids were quite young. So I was sort of having to think about my like my whatever I said in the book, I felt like I had to be living that. <laughs> you know, sort of, okay, I have to, I can't, I can't take any position that's that, that I wouldn't implement myself. Um so yes, I think it, it's one reason it's so interesting is because even people who are really liberal about swearing will often be really uncomfortable at the idea of swearing in front of children. Um and so, you know, asking, well, what does that reveal? I think in general, you know, when we take, when people take that attitude of just don't ever swear, you know, that I think that's um, not your mother, but plenty of parents that that's just how sure. kids are brought up. Just don't do it. And I think it's, um, it's probably largely a precautionary thing, just like teach them not to do it. And then, you know, then they won't make any mistakes. If you try and teach them something more nuanced, then maybe they'll upset somebody. Um, which is actually very different to the way we teach them other rules of etiquette. You know, we don't teach them to address everybody super formally so that they, they never slip up and, you know, sort of call a teacher by their first name or, you know, something horrifying like that. So we trust children to take a nuanced view, but it's almost like when it comes to swearing, the stakes are higher. And I think that there's a few things going on. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm addressing now, you know, why do we have this attitude? Why are people so um, edgy about the idea of swearing in front of children? I think one thing going on here is that that whole it takes a village thing where, you know, ch- uh, children are sort of obviously mainly brought up by their parents and their parents are sort of teaching them how to behave well and what norms they need to internalise in order to be, you know, sort of good members of society and so I think a lot of um we we like to behave ourselves in front of other people especially other people's children right we sort of maybe don't want to swear in front of them because we're sensitive to undoing some of the good work that their parents might have worked hard to do so we don't want to set a bad example for other people's children so I think that's part of it and also relatedly I think um we tend to respect parents having certain choices about uh, what goes on with their children, which means that there's plenty of things that we could do to or with somebody else's child, which in a way would be completely harmless, but we're just aware that we'd be overstepping our mark. So we wouldn't take um, another person's child for a haircut without their parents' permission, for example, or enroll them in a club or or something like this. You know, we we with all this sort of thing, we would say, okay, you know, ask your parents, this is their, this is their remit. And I think that, um, that comes in with swearing as well, that, you know, somebody who's quite liberal about swearing might take the view as your mother did that, you know, it's okay to teach children how to swear in a, in a more nuanced way. But when it comes to other people's children, let's respect the rules that, that go on at home. So I think that is a big part of it. And that's, you know, that's, nothing i haven't said anything really specific about swearing there that's just sort of observations about how we how we are around children in general um yeah and i think in terms of the so so the attitude i took with my kids is i i tried to take this more nuanced view and um you know the rule was you i don't mind if you swear at home but you don't swear at people so you don't sort of use, use swear words in this sort of weaponized way where, where you're using them to amplify an insult or to um, make your speech more aggressive to each other. Um I mean my kids have other ways of being aggressive <laughs> to each other. Um but I said you you don't you don't say it at school and you don't say it in front of any other grown-ups. Um so that was kind of my the way I set out to do it. Um I think there's so something that goes on with some parents that I think I I was a little less worried about is to do with the sort of high stakes nature that I mentioned before, where it's, you know, if your kid makes a slip up etiquette wise, that reflects on you or, you know, sort of people often take it to reflect on you. Um, And so I think, you know, that there's a concern sometimes that, you know, if my child swears inappropriately, then, you know, what are people going to think? They're going to think I'm not raising them correctly. So they'll sort of almost as if they're going to take that instance of swearing as a proxy for the parenting generally, like, don't you teach your children how to behave? I mean, I wasn't so worried about that, um, but I guess, you know, some people probably are, and that might be part of why parents don't tend to teach their children how to swear. So I I took this sort of fairly liberal view with uh, swearing in raising my kids. But at the same time, there are plenty of things that I wouldn't allow them to say even at home. So I wouldn't allow them to use slurs, uh, not that they ever have. Um, But, you know, I think we can talk about that. I think that's a whole different set of issues, morally speaking. Um, Yeah, and just some, some of the things that children say quite often, I... Found myself really uncomfortable with, like, I, I, I don't like them calling things stupid or dumb, or you know, I mean, I think these are sort of basically ableist terms Agreed. as well, but Agreed. um, something quite nasty about them, um, so yeah, I, I sort of tried to take a thoughtful approach, um, and and for a while, I think my, um, especially my son was quite anti swearing um i would have we would do sort of secret santa at work where people you know sort of colleagues would buy each other presents and i would often get swearing themed presents <laughs> people you know, what i was working on um yeah and my son sort of didn't i've got this um candle with fuck engraved on it downstairs um, and my son would turn it round so that you couldn't see the rude word um and I thought for a while. I thought, oh, am I sort of actually raising my children not to be interested in swearing, <laughs> which completely changed when um, you know, sort of, the, in the later stages of writing my book, when the manuscript was lying around, and they they sort of were almost gleeful about seeing these words in print, um, and my son, especially uh, when when the book came out, uh, took some joy in telling people about it, telling teachers at school about it. Um, and they would report this, like, oh, your son's really proud of you. And I was like, no, he just really likes the free pass he gets to say the title of this book. Because he says, I can say it. It's in the title. Nobody can tell me off. So, so yeah, my kids sort of ended up, you know, just as
0: gleeful about swearing as anybody else. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I love this story of sort of um, the development of an understanding of what you can do with norms and mm. what what gives you some freedom with them and what is interesting and how you can play with other people. Um, well, yeah. And you brought up this distinction, this really important distinction. I learned a lot from your discussion of the the distinction between swears and slurs. Um, mm-hmm. So do you mind diving into that a bit? I found that just really um, so important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, um, so this, maybe one good way to start out here is thinking about the the ethics you know is it is it unethical to swear um and i think most of the time no it's very often rude to swear so it's it's against the rules of etiquette and that can be an ethical issue but you know usually if you're just sort of throwing in a swear word into your conversation um especially in a sort of fairly informal environment you know you're not going to upset anybody um I think you know sort of swearing is it can be you know it can be rude but it's usually not unethical I think those instances are relatively rare um and I think part of that is the fact that although swearing is often taken as an expression of disrespect it's it's usually not when it the ways it's actually used, so so if you're verbally attacking somebody, um, trying to intimidate them, so or harassing them, then these are instances uh, where if, if you use swearing, you're doing something unethical. Um, but then that's not about the swearing; that's about the you know the intimidation or the harassment or whatever else you're doing. Um, and swearing kind of turns up the volume on that. But you know, usually, it itself it's not an ethical issue. But when it comes to slurs, so so these are terms that are, they're kind of designed to denigrate entire groups of people. So these are the words that we associate with racism, homophobia, ableism, um, all the other isms. Um, so they're words that, you know, that you can't utter them benignly. Um, any time you use them, just by choosing to have this word in your vocabulary, you are saying something about your attitudes to a group of people. Um, and I think, you know, just just by using these terms, even in a group of sympathetic people, um, you're actually doing your bit in propagating oppression. Um, I mean, a complicating factor here is, you know, what we call um, reclaiming slur words. So this is something that happens to the like the N-word in, you know, in, in the black community where it's sort of been reclaimed as a neutral or or even a positive term, but still only when it's used by people who have traditionally been targeted by that term. It's still not something you can say benignly if you're not part of that group. So yeah, I think, you know, sort of on the on the face of it. Swearing and slurring sometimes look quite similar because they're both, you know, language that you shouldn't use or language that it's um, that you can offend with. But I think the way in which they offend and the reasons they're offensive are, are very different.
1: Yeah. And this um, this there's one swear word that appears in two of your chapter titles. Um, and I I our contexts are different. And I realized how different our context was were in um, reading about this because I might have put this under a slur um Mm. but reading your discussion of it i started to see i started to see it differently but so uh, the word is cunt um and the u.s has a really different i think context context Mm. about it um Mm. perhaps um and this is helping me explain i watched a show from australia where this was every third word was this and i thought this is interesting and it was a very feminist nuanced show about violence and i thought why are they Mm. using this word so much so um why is this a particularly important swear word and um why might we want to increase love for it you you argue yeah. for increasing the love for this word um yeah so help, help help me out I'm I'm actually sweating a little bit just having said it so yeah, no well, I'm sorry to make you swear. <laughs> no I appreciate it it's really been great to think about yeah
2: I think so, so this is a word that it's it's not a slur but it's Close to being one, especially in the U.S. context. I mean, I think just just to go into that context a little bit. So this is a word that in the U.S. tends to be used as uh, to denigrate women. Um, it's you know it's a derogate it it's used as a derogatory term for a woman, but it is not you know the literal meaning is not woman, which is one reason why it's not a slur. You know, with slurs they tend to be if you think well what's the literal meaning of this term they are you know sort of a, the n-word is you know there's a sense in which well the literal meaning is black person it's just a very horrible way of expressing that but you know the meaning of cunt is not woman um it is women's genitals uh but it's used as uh as an insult um towards women whereas um in the uk uh and in especially in certain regions of the uk so scotland wales an island, less so southern England, Um, it tends to be used, um, and if anything, to men um, more than more than women. And it's this sort of all purpose insult. So I think, you know, it's still for us the uh, the the most offensive swear word, but it doesn't have that sort of slur like quality that um, that it has in the US. And as you say, um, in Australia, um, in Scotland as well, you know, sort of, uh, there's a, there's a few areas where it's, it's pretty benign, or it can be, you know, it can just be chucked in to conversation in a sort of almost affectionate way. Um, so it's a really interesting word. And I think, um, yes, yeah, so to answer your question, why, why I was so preoccupied with it is, um, you know, if we ask why it is as offensive as it is, The only explanation really is one that involves misogyny. So, you know, it's a word for a woman's genitals. We have a word for male genitals or several words, right? Um, You can call somebody a, a prick or a cock, but that has nowhere near the bite that cunt has. And, you know, why not? They're both... They're kind of equivalent terms in a way. It's just that the word for a woman's genitals is that much more powerful and offensive and kind of scary <laughs> for some people. Um, and that's really worrying. You know, if we if we care about misogyny, then that's concerning. And um and it's interesting that you know, it creates this this puzzle for feminists, you know, what because what do we do about this? It, it's bad that it's so much more offensive than the equivalent male term. And you get some people who think that it is so offensive, we just shouldn't use it. We use it even less, um, which I think is well-intentioned. If you use it less, then you get fewer people being targeted by it. And especially in the US, that means fewer women being targeted by it. But if we use it less, then we kind of make it even more taboo. You know, the more restricted a taboo is, the more exciting it is to use. Um, So, you know, we we risk um, increasing its appeal to people, you know, when they want to be really insulting or really let off steam. Um, so another option is to try and tone it down, um, you know, to try and reduce its offensiveness, which means using it even more. Um, and I I think that's what we should be doing. But it's also, it's a risky strategy. Um, I think in some ways it resembles, it, it's um, it's what you might call conscientious offensiveness. So this is a, a term from um, Donald Vanderveer, I think, where it's, so if you, If you cause conscientious offence, then you're doing something that people regard as offensive, but you're doing it not to cause offence or not with the intention of causing offence, but with the intention of trying to get people to reflect on why they're offended in the first place. So, you know, sort of familiar examples of this are things like um, sort of breastfeeding protests. So sometimes if you get a nursing mother harassed for breastfeeding in public, um, which she's perfectly entitled to do. Um, then you've had cases in the news where this has been reported and as a protest, lots of nursing mothers have got together and they've all nursed at the same time. So they're engaging in behavior, which has been regarded as offensive. Um, but they are doing it, you know, they don't want to offend anyone. They kind of want the opposite, right? They want people to stop being offended by this. Um, and you see something similar sometimes with, um, gay kissing protests. You had uh, a lot of these in um, in Russia a few years ago. So, you know, a way of protesting against laws restricting the expression of homosexuality sometimes attracts protests where um, same-sex couples will gather and kiss each other. So, um, again, the intention is not to be a- be offensive, but to try and stop people being offended. So I think we could take a similar approach to using cunt. You know, we could use it in a way, we could use it even more, but do it in a way that, you know, is kind of well intentioned. And, um, you know, the idea is to get people to reflect on their attitudes. I think the risk there is that whereas things like breastfeeding and kissing are not behaviours that are designed to offend people, swearing is. So there's a risk that if you try to use can't in a conscientious way to get people to reflect on and revise their patterns of offendedness, then there's a risk they'll just think you're insulting them or they'll just think you're being disrespectful, in which case, you know, you're not going to achieve the, the aim that you set out for. But I think actually we can take a leaf well you know we can take hope from cultures like australia and scotland and the other areas where uh, where the word cunt has this benign use because they're showing us that it's possible to do um you know there's there's sort of the world we live in is one where we kind of have access to people you wouldn't necessarily have much access to if you if you're not living in australia it you know a few decades ago you wouldn't necessarily or the only access you would have to how australians speak is probably like neighbours and home and away. <laughs> things like maybe muriel's wedding um but you know you don't you, you don't necessarily have access to sort of how just regular people speak whereas we do now we you know the, the internet means that we're sort of quite a global community and so I think we can take take lessons from how um how the word cunt is used in in cultures where it's not used with the force that is used in the US. So they show yeah, they show us we can get there, we can get to that place, but um it might be a rocky road.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> we, we and it's it not too much me, too soon. Yeah, no, it I mean it strikes me something similar has happened with bitch. Um hmm. And this is, I'm remembering now when we first introduced Lady Gaga into the house, one of the things we made clear was that she was using that as a term of endearment so that the kids knew that she was being, it was an in speech moment, right, of endearment yeah. and not, and not hurled as an insult, right, not used to cause offense. So, yeah, no, I mean, um, I love that
2: suggestion of a sort of ritual of introducing Lady Gaga
1: <laughs> into the house. It's Lady Gaga Day. <laughs> yes, it is time now. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how it went down. I'm not sure why, particularly yeah. with her. Um, yeah. Um, well, so now to a sort of a different end of the of the issues, and and to the one that it sounds like was the kernel of the book about sanitizing words. Mm. Um, and you point out, right? Uh, there's an asterisk in your title, um, and I said for f's sake in my intro, um, but people know what words being used there. Um, yeah. so why are these techniques successful at often successful, at least at making the use of the the word less offensive?
2: Yeah. 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 As you say, this was what at first drew me in because yes. Yeah, so, so there's an obvious sense in which if you use a if you use an asterisk to cover up part of a swear word, you're trying to hide the swear word. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, but at the same time, it's pretty rare to see it, the whole word asterisked out. You would, you, you typically, you have enough left so that people can know what the word, what the censored word is, which you know raises the question. That's so you're trying to hide the word, but you're also trying to communicate it. Uh, how can these, how can the end result be that people know what word you're talking about, but they're less offended? You know, this was this was a real puzzle, um, which I, you know, this was sort of what I first started thinking about. And I think the answer is, I mean, it comes down to this sort of offense escalation explanation, I think, which is that, you know, the reason that swearing offends isn't about the words so much as the attitudes that we convey by our decision to use the words. So, you know, if you're, if you swear in a polite context where you know that people are going to be shocked um, what you are conveying or what they're reading between the lines of what you're actually saying is that you don't you don't have much consideration for them. You know you don't care if they are uncomfortable with the language you're using. And so I think when we when we uh, sanitize a swear word, if it's a polite context, um, then you know that message. Okay, I'm using a swear word, so there's this signal of disrespect. But you're also hiding part of it, and I think that sends this competing signal, which is yeah, I'm using this word, but also, I know that it might make you uncomfortable, so I'm not writing the whole thing out. And I think like that mess, that is a message of consideration and solicitude. And so I think that's what people pick up on, and that's why they're less offended. But I think also context matters a lot here. I think um the cases of using sanitization successfully in order to, reduce offense are also cases where you are you're you're using the word sparing sparingly so you know if you if it's a news story it might be the attitude might be okay we kind of need to use this word in order to convey the facts that we want to report but you know we're not reveling it we're we're just going to use it um as little as we can get away with um and then you can sanitize it and people are sort of you you would hope understanding, but you know if you were if you were to write a news article that's full of swear words uh, you know, unnecessarily, whatever that means in this context. But you know, sort of just just throwing them in there uh, beyond any any sort of function of sort of conveying the facts, then even if you were to sanitise them all, I think, you you know, that that message of solicitude would be lost then because people would be wondering, well, you know, if you care so much about not offending people, why are you using so many swear words? So I think it has to, in order to work properly, sanitization has to occur in this sort of, oh, I don't like using this word, but I'm going to have to. You know, that has to be the overriding context and message that's going on.
1: Yeah, and that's, I'd say, one really successful aspect of your book is that um, you manage to talk a lot about swearing and do it sparingly enough that when you do it, it's quite funny. You know, it's like the book's not set up to offend you. It's a very serious philosophical treatment of swearing, but you also do understand its power to be humorous and, and you deploy it well. And part of that is by the restraint with which you do it.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, I did. I sort of got fed up with it. this <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there was so early on. I did write an article for, um, a, a website. They wanted me to write an article about swearing, and and I did that. I delivered the article, and and the editor got back to me and said, "Oh, can you throw a few more swear words in there?" And I think it was just you know, you're this uptight. British academic it wasn't a British website and it's funny when you swear and I was I was just like oh no I yeah I, I, I didn't want to do it I I, I mean it's just I guess this that there's a whole other issue here which is you know the use of swearing in comedy and the idea of a cheap laugh where you know if you're going to swear in comedy be a bit clever with it you know make an interesting point don't just kind of bung swear words in to do your work for you um so yeah I sort of wanted to just try and make the, you know, the argument was my, my priority here. Um so and...
1: it pays off. The way you walked that line, I think pays off. <laughs> I, I was, there were moments I laughed out loud um, and I was sort of ready to get, um, I don't know what the word would be like sort of numb to swear words. And that's not what happened. So I appreciate okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm that. that's good to yeah. hear. Thank you. Um, well, one of the moral concerns of your book is bias and how um, the relationship between bias and swearing. So, um, you know, who is judged more harshly for swearing? And then this and this this aspect of it just, I thought was such a compelling part. Who can't effectively swear? And, mm. and why is it they can't effectively swear and how is bias at work there?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yes,
2: so I think th- this is a serious point I think um, we react strongly to swearing, but often quite unreflectively. So, um, uh, by we, I mean you know, sort of culturally, it's quite common. You know, somebody swears inappropriately, there is this sort of "oh my god" reaction, and and often a sort of they've done something wrong, they're a bad person, but without really reflecting on you know, sort of really exactly what have they done wrong, we just take that emotional um that emotional response that sort of strong feeling of being offended and being shocked as you know all the justification we need for okay this is a bad thing to do um and I think that so that itself is something that demands examination right it's kind of good to understand why we react in this way but also there is um there's a lot of research not necessarily applied to swearing specifically but there's research on how people feel well, the double standards that people tend to have towards behaviour and speech of people from different groups. So, um, I mean, one obvious thing is, you know, sort of anecdotally people tend to be more offended by women swearing than men, um, which, you know, kind of that might seem fairly benign, except that it might mean that women pay a, a harsher price for swearing inappropriately than men and there's also research showing things like um uh black people tend to be viewed as aggressive when they're engaging in speech or behavior that if a white person were to engage in they they wouldn't be viewed as as, as aggressive black men tend to be viewed as bigger and more threatening than similar sized white men and so on. So I think there is this concern then that, you know, sort of if we think about, well, how does swearing factor in then? It might not just might, as in, you know, sort of let's suppose, but you know, there's there's evidence to believe that uh black people are going to be viewed as more aggressive and um you know, more harmful when they swear, which again, you know, this, this, this could potentially mean um, injustice in the way that people respond to swearing and the way, you know, the responses to swearing, it's not just about, you know, shocking people. It's also in some cases, um, I mean, depending on context, um, censorship. Um, if it's in broadcasting, it can mean um, broadcasters get fined Um in some cases, you can get arrested for swearing, you know, it can factor in there's usually not laws specifically about uh, forbidding swearing, but it can kind of piggyback into sort of laws about sort of disturbing the peace or threatening behaviour, things like that. So there could be this justice issue where some people get away with swearing and other people don't, which makes it really important to sort of break it down and ask, OK, let's just let's Pause our shocked reactions, and before we, you know, sort of um, respond to an instance of inappropriate swearing, let's look carefully at, at uh, exactly what, if anything, this person has done wrong, and whether we would regard them as having done something wrong if they were a different sort of person. So I think yes, this is all all to say that um, it's important for justice reasons that we unpick our reasons. Uh, reasons for being shocked and offended at swearing. Um, And you also asked about, you know, people who who can't swear. Um, I think this is a really interesting point that tends to get missed. Um, So this, I started thinking about this, seeing a blog post by a disabled person called Mel Bags, who is sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, But this was a a non-binary person who um, used a used voice software, used a wheelchair. Um, and they wrote a, a blog post about, um, about how people would get up in their face. So people would be sort of quite infantilizing uh, towards them as a disabled person. Um, quite a disturbing blog post. It was about a, a woman sort of getting right up in Mel Baggs's face uh, and just sort of not not responding when when she was asked to back off, basically. Um, and Mel Baggs's response to this was to create a a special page on her on her voice software that was devoted to language designed to get people to back off. So it had all these different buttons that she could press. And it, some of the things uh Sorry that they could press, and some of the things were quite mild, like "Can you can you take a step back," um, all the way through to "fuck off," and they made this case that it's actually really important that it's uh, for disabled people to be able to say things like this, um, but also um, wrote about how if you're disabled, you you don't often get to say this. Um, so they described a situation where they'd use their voice software to swear at somebody, and the response was just, you know, the person laughed. You know, it's like, oh my god, there's cursing at me using voice software, um, which is not at all the response that you get if somebody um, if somebody were to swear at you without using voice software. So yeah, the um, the the point here was that there's there's a, the, again a different sort of justice issue. Um, like it's sometimes important to be able to swear to get people to back off or just to express yourself but there's some people who aren't able to swear including disabled people but i think there's a few other groups as well um i think an obvious one is children um i mean in a sense like who cares (laughs) you know they'll they'll have their their time will come but you know there's sort of um uh, occasional memes online of a toddler swearing. Um, there's one with a toddler swearing at some bubbles. Sort of, uh, do you know? How yes, you describe this
1: in the book? book. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: And then there's there's another one of a toddler saying, um, pointing to a goat and saying, "It's a fucking goat." Um, and like these are really funny, and it's 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 all very cute, but um, but you know, which shows that you know when children, or at least when toddlers swear. Um, our reaction tends to be amusement rather than sort of shock. And we'd think somebody was a bit odd if they were really shocked by <laughs> a toddler saying something like this. Um, so, yes, yeah, sort of very young children um, don't get to swear in the sort of powerful way that adults do. Uh, but also, you know, sort of I think anyone who's a bit other so people who, who have a funny way of like funny, inverted way, inverted commas. there a funny way of speaking, you know, whose speech is unusual or people who sort of dress unusually, um, people who are not fluent in the language. I mean, that's a big one. Um, well, I think it can go either way. Um, you know, if you, if you think of encountering somebody who is, um, Still learning to speak your language. So, say somebody who's still learning to speak English, and they they drop a swear word. I think in some cases uh, you might not take account of the fact that they're they're still learning and just be offended. You know, you might react in the way that you would if it was a fluent speaker using that sort of language. But I think you know another, I think more reasonable way of reacting is, um, okay, yes, you you're you're still learning the ropes here. And there's actually there's a linguist called Geraldine Horan who is who has made a case for teaching um, as, as part of foreign language teaching, teaching people how to swear. Because, you know, she makes this case that, you know, they can it's fairly easy for them to pick up the, you know, the reference, what these words literally mean. But it's much more difficult to pick up the connotation, you know, so sort of what's likely to shock and in what situation. So yeah, I think there's 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 a few things going on there, but I think a lot of the time this is just missed because a lot of us take for granted the fact that if we swear in a polite context, we're going to cause offence, and so we're we're sort of we don't necessarily notice the 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 plight of people who just don't have that privilege. I guess it is a privilege.
1: Yeah, well, and this um, you you've named throughout the conversation a few uh, uh sort of the good sides, or the, the things we might really appreciate about swearing, one of them being able to back other people off, um, mm. right, that, that can be a power, right, that we could use, um, that we might need. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it strikes me as interesting, who who can back people off and who can't using swear words. Um, and then some of the other good things you talk about is the the, the humor that's possible, mm. right, this is a, a power of swearing. Um, you, you talk in your book about increasing intimacy and um, I just it talking about the book in the department as I was preparing for the interview it was fun with my colleagues we're we're a we're a friendly group um, and and swearing's not totally foreign to our to our practices um, but it was really nice to thematize it and be geeky about the language but then also enjoy enjoy being able to say these words and talk about them mm-hmm. in philosophical ways but it was also I think an intimacy um, building exercise there was trust in it so will you talk a little bit about these these sort of positive or or um good aspects of swearing that you yeah, you think yeah. about in the book
2: there's there was a really fun i think 2004 study by some psychologists in new zealand um who went to a, a soap factory and recorded the conversations of the workers there and what they found i mean they, they, one of the things they were thinking about is how people swore, and they noticed that between colleagues who were also buddies, there would be a lot more swearing than between colleagues who were, you know, they were just co-workers. They didn't really socialize outside of work, um, which you know is is puzzling if you think of swearing as just a tool for insulting people. Like, why are these people insulting the ones that they like? But of course, it's not. It's also um a it also has a role in bonding and in you know sort of informal conversation. And I think, you know, there's, there's always that, or not always, but, you know, there's often this situation where if you meet, if you meet a new colleague, say, there's this, there's this um, process you go through where you're kind of feeling them out, you know, so what can I say, uh, what can I say with them, what sort of things are they going to be tolerant of, and so initially you might be on your best behaviour, you sort of don't swear, right off the bat. But, um, but then there might come a time where you're sort of chatting, maybe in a pub or somewhere else informally, and you might sort of test the waters, like throw in a swear word. And if that, if they react in the way that you hope, where they just sort of relax, and then they start sort of peppering their conversation with swearing too, then yeah, it's sort of everybody relaxes the, um, you know, the, 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 the relationship has progressed a little bit. And I think that's, there's something really profound about that. And it's um, <clears throat> it's I think it's kind of analogous to offense escalation. But um, I think I, I refer to it in a book as, as trust escalation I love that. where yeah. you are you're sort of using you, you take the risk of using a swear word in a benign way. And you're hoping that the person you're speaking to will recognize that, you know, you come in peace and then if they do, you know, if they do sort of, ex- it's it's like you're extending the hand of friendship, right? And if they respond in the way that you'd hoped, then, yeah, there's trust. Trust has sort of increased, right? Because you're both recognising that you're each using these words in a benign way, whereas in other contexts, they would be, they could potentially be offensive. So, yeah, I think it, it has this really lovely role in friendships, I mean, I guess one thing, one aspect of this, I think, um, uh, especially in notoriously like the speech of teenagers, where like you know, sort of a group of teenagers will get together and there'll just be way too many swear words. It will just be like punctuation, and I think you know that's part of what's going on there, probably that there's this bonding aspect. But then, of course, if they're at an age where they are. You know, they kind of want to demonstrate that they don't, they're not just gonna be a sheep and live by the rules, they're gonna break boundaries. And actually, swearing can be a really benign way of pushing back against boundaries. Um, you know, if they if if they're out kind of breaking into homes and you know, stealing, then it's a little bit more concerning. But sort of swearing is a way that I think uh can be really important for teenagers just to sort of signal that, okay, I I don't behave as if my parents are watching me the whole time
1: Mm. yeah well um what are you working on now I'm yeah so I'm
2: I immediately started writing another book which some people find really bizarre (laughs) Um, so I'm working I'm working on a book that's about um indirect communication so things like sulking flirting passive aggression, gaslighting, uh, making veiled threats and bribes. This actually was the the original intention was for this to be a chapter in my book about swearing, because I I was going to have a chapter on passive aggression. So it was the the thought was going to be sometimes we want to insult people. We, you know, ideally we want to swear at them, but we don't want to be overtly rude. And so there's various things that we can do to kind of you know sort of basically say fuck you but in a very polite way um and yeah as I was writing that I sort of realized okay this is bigger than a chapter for the book and then no it sort of snowballed into all these other things as well where I sort of thought okay there's like loads I can say about this so so yes that's my next book explore um why we communicate indirectly, what the ethics of it are, how we do it—you know, how we read between the lines. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm actually surprisingly. I'm having quite a lot of fun with that at the moment. I'm sure I'll get fed up with it eventually.
1: <laughs> no, it it makes so much sense as a um a related project to this one. Um, the import the just deep relationality of these practices. So. Mm. Well, I look forward to reading it. And Rebecca Roach, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I've really learned a lot. Thank you.